Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm William Annis, and that means this is another Conlangery short episode. Today I want to talk about classification and categories in language. Um, of course, classification and categories pop up all over, but there are uh, some interesting parallels in different parts of grammar I've noticed across different languages over the years. And I thought that those commonalities were sort of interesting, so I'm going to uh, scattershot across a bunch of different topics um, that I think are related. The sort of deep rabbit hole starting place, if you're interested in pursuing this further, is George Lakoff's book, Women, Fire, and Dangerous Things. Um, that slightly provocative title uh, is due to the gerbil language of Australia that has four genders, one of which encompasses women, fire, and dangerous things. And he uses that as the starting point to think about the many different ways that humans categorize and classify things. Um, he, you know, has rude things to say about Aristotle, and I'm not going to get into any of that here. I'm just going to talk very generally. I leave it up to you to think about alternate human conceptions of the universe, or if you want aliens to have some different psychology of classification and categories. So there are four main places where the categorization or classification of nouns can pop up in a language's grammar. First, there's the gender system. And when I say gender system, I mean where you have nouns that have to agree with pronouns, verbs, and adjectives um, with some special marking. And not, it's not simply having he or she, it is the mechanics of uh, agreement. The next one is measure words or uh, numeral classifiers. They're sometimes called used in counting things. Uh, sometimes they're used with demonstratives and in other circumstances. Another one which is really interesting, and I've only ever seen in the Austronesian languages, where they have something they call indirect possession. Um, if you Google Austronesian possession, you will see things about this. Uh, how that works is um, some nail nouns, which are inalienably possessed, take uh, direct possessive morphology on the noun. Alienably possessed nouns, the possession marker has to go on some prop. You can't say uh, my book. You have to say my thingy book. And that prop noun changes depending on what the possessed noun is. Uh, it's m typically very simple in the Austronesian languages where the classification goes by whether or not something is edible or consumable. Um, and then a small number of languages distinguish uh, food from drink and then everything else. And then the last place where classification can occur is in the lexical system, and specifically I mean things like verbs of handling, um, but also verbs of posture uh, might classify, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. My favorite example of this is always the Athabascan languages, so as always I'll be talking about Navajo in a bit. So obviously all of these things are ultimately related to nouns. We need to classify things less than actions necessarily, but the marking can pop up all over the place, and that's what I think makes it interesting. So how does a noun end up in a particular class? The easiest starting point is with semantics. So going to gender, you might have an inanimate versus animate system where everything that is a moving living animal is animate and everything else is inanimate. Um, you might have a gender system like Indo-European where you have masculine and feminine, possibly neuter, and you just classify things according to their semantics. That almost never lasts. Other things 
that don't quite make sense semantically will get drawn into a category. And I call this categorical contagion because it alliterates nicely. And what I mean by that is when things that are related to items of a particular class might get absorbed into the new class. So, for example, if you have a class for food, things associated with cooking food might also then, over time, get drawn into that class. But not all items. Sometimes purely phonetic considerations, sometimes purely grammatical considerations will change the class of a noun or set the class of a noun. For example, all diminutives in ancient Greek are neuters, um, even when you're talking about people. So some of the common things to classify by are biological sex, animacy, humans and animals versus everything else, uh, plants and trees, or plants or trees might end up in their own class as well, um, food and drink. Uh, there's a very widespread preoccupation with what I call sticks and noodles. That is slender, rigid objects and slender, flexible objects like rope. We see these things in nature and in our day-to-day -day tools all the time. So um, that classification is very popular in every language. Chinese is preoccupied with this. Navajo is preoccupied with this. Then the other contrast I like to make the distinction of is plates and sheets. That is saliently thin, flat things either rigid or flexible. Uh, a fairly common classification is things in a mass, like mud or uh, flour. Um, things in a container uh, might end up in their own class as well. And there are other ways that these classes can be made more refined, can be expanded, can be collapsed. I'm not going to go into all of that. If you do a little research on noun classes, you can find all sorts of things. And I have some links to documents with different kinds of classification systems that you might find interesting. In any given language, your classification might be very simple, like a two-way animate versus inanimate. Or it might be very, very complex. There are dozens and dozens of classifier words in the various Chinese languages. In general, the southern languages have more of them, and the northern have fewer. And that opens up Another way to vary your language's um, dialects is to have different kinds of classifiers used in different places, either utterly different words, which happens in the Chinese situation, or have one language make many more distinctions than some neighbor languages. It's kind of fun. There is sort of a catch-all classifier in numeral classifier in Mandarin, which is ge, um, but that's in the standard dialect all over the different dialects and different sort of related languages all seem to like to pick their own general classifier, so it's a great big mess. So it's another great dialectal, uh, another thing that you can use to distinguish by dialect. Another thing that you might have, and here I'm falling on the Athabascan language called Dakesh, which is spoken in the Pacific Northwest, is it has eight separate systems of classification. So you have a five-way system for numeral classifiers, you have a two-way system for possession. You have some stuff related to the verb I'm not going to talk about. There is a three-way category distinction for demonstratives, a three-way system for uh, agent nouns derived from verbs, so like runner from run or um, sleeper from sleep, whatever. There is a four-way distinction for relativizers. There's a five-category system for asking how many of something. Whereas in Chinese, you use the same numeral classifier system for how many that you use for normal numerals and demonstratives. And then finally, you have the normal Athabascan system, which I'll talk a little bit more shortly, in Daketh, in addition to a 
five, four, five-way distinction of these other classes. So you can get completely out of control with this if you want. You don't have to, but there are many opportunities for subtlety and refinement and more um, charts in your grammar if you go in for that. So the uh, Athabascan verb system has these classificatory verbs where nouns, uh, verbs rather, of handling, of propelling, that is, of chucking things, or of describing objects in free flight, by which we mean falling and things like that, make an 11-way distinction in Navajo um, based on the noun type. So one of the classes is for solid round objects, like bottles and balls and boxes and so forth. Uh, there's one for burdens or packs, like backpack, saddle, stuff like that. Um, one for they call non-compact matter, so a clump of grass, fog. They have one uh, for slender, flexible object, and I was talking about this before. Socks, rope, that sort of stuff. And then another for slender, stiff objects, arrows, saws, bracelets, that sort of stuff. Navajo has a flat, flexible object, classificatory verb for blankets and coats, but it does not have one for things like plates specifically. There's my favorite class, the one for mushy matter, which in the Wikipedia article says is for ice cream, mud, and slumped over drunk people. Um, and that's not um, someone being funny with the article. Uh, the Navajo sometimes can have fun playing jokes by picking different words for these classificatory verbs. Choice can be a, an opportunity for humor. Um, there are two classificatory verbs for plural objects, which I don't understand. There is one that's very interesting to me for things in an open container. So a glass of milk, a spoon of food, food, a handful of flour, so on and so forth. Um, and then finally, there is the classificatory verb for animate objects. So people, um, germs, uh, dolls, interestingly, fall into this. So the simulacrum of a living object also falls into that. So that's a pretty rich system. A lot of the other Athabascan languages are typically less complex the Navajo, because Navajo does everything, turns that dial to 11. And in the link I have to the docath system way almost near the end, they talk about the verbs um, to say he will give me something, and there's a big long list. Um, so it has the normal, it has a normal four-way distinction like they have for the numeral system and the demonstrative system, well, the numeral system, um, in addition to long, rigid objects, bodies, contents of an open container, that sort of stuff. So... I think that's it. I have not talked much about the Bantu languages. They're another uh, classic system of a very rich noun class in most of the languages. A few have lost them. Um, I have a paper, though, that gives some historical stuff, um, especially Table 4, uh, which is way at the end of the paper after the references, talks about what they thought the proto-Bantu um, system looked like in its simplest semantic breakdown. So that looks like a really interesting starting point if you want to play with this yourself too. So there it is. Classification and language. Go forth and make a classificatory language. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can send questions, comments, or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a conlang or natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our contribute page for details. Web space for conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our theme music is by Null Device.